My name is Justin Gage, and you're tuned in to the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions Podcast with your host, Jason Woodbury. for joining us today on Transmissions. Our guest this week on the program is Roberto Carlos Lang, better known as Jolaldo Negro. He's got a really wonderful new album out on 4AD now called Far In, and it's filled with these songs that blend synthy experimental pop tones with folkier ballads and, uh, and, and some dance songs. It's a really wonderful album, and I had a really good time hanging out with him to discuss it. He joined me to talk about his his time in Marfa during the pandemic and retrace his journey through music, discussing the artistic freedom that's really intrinsic to his process along the way. I really enjoyed speaking with him, and I think y'all are going to enjoy this episode. We are just one show away from the conclusion of this season of Transmission, so I want to thank you for spending time with us. We've got a lot of talks in the archive, though, you can dive into during the break if you need them. Uh, conversations with people like Yasmin Williams, Jim Jarmish, uh, Tom Sharpling, Margot Price, Angel Bot Dawid, many more. If you dig the show and you like what we're doing, you can help us out by, by posting about it on your social media, or uh, you can take your support a step further and pledge a couple bucks a month to help us keep making it over on Patreon. You can just look up Aquarium Drunkard on Patreon. Okay, coming up, my talk with Halaldo Negro. But first, a word from our sponsor. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Check them out at betterhelp.com slash aquariumdrunkard. Uh, the best way to think about therapy is through uh, the idea of thinking about maintenance. We get our cars tuned up to prevent bigger issues down the road. We get annual checkups at the doctor and go to the gym to maintain our physical wellness. We do chores regularly to avoid a giant mess of a house and gross bugs. Going to therapy is is like this. It's routine maintenance for your mental and emotional wellness, and it helps prevent bigger issues down the line. Going to therapy does not mean something's wrong with you. It means you're investing uh, in yourself to keep your mind healthy. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Why invest in everything else and not your mind? This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Aquarium Drunkard listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash aquariumdrunkard. That's B-E-T-T-E-R. H-E-L-P dot com slash Aquarium Drunkard. We thank BetterHelp for sponsoring the show.
Roberto, thanks so much for joining us here on Transmissions. It's a real honor to have you. Um, are you in? Are you in New York? Is that where I'm speaking to you? No, no, no. I'm in. Um, in why am I spacing? I'm in uh, Asheville, <laughs> North Carolina. <laughs> How long have you been out there? What or what brought you out there? Rather, I um, I moved out here. Okay. In June of this year, late June. And what brought me out here? We we were I lived in New York for fifteen years, and we were on the um. We 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 were in Marfa last year for seven months or six months. I'm sorry, and that time there really reprogrammed our brain to kind of um. Think about living somewhere else. Um, I think there's always like these fantasies, especially when you're. Um, touring and you pass through different towns or different cities and you like go there and you're like oh man i could live here yeah there's some there's always something fleeting like that but then you go home and then there's like all these you know your roots are where you're at right for us it was in new york and so there were so many things already a part of my life like my like my that's where my parents went first you know my, my my family moved to new york um in the 60s and then later moved to Florida and then, but I still have a lot of family in New York in the city. And so it's not, I didn't grow up there, but going back, it was just familiar because I had been there, you know, before. And so it still felt like roots, you know? Yeah. And, uh, but being in Asheville now, it's really exciting. It's really exciting to be here because um, the world is beautiful everywhere. And I think it's, it's not hard. It's not hard to try. It's just hard to um, really. Um, it's not hard to try. It's just hard. It, it's hard to get to, to to discover new things. You know, to find the energy to discover new things as you get older. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas, like, I, I moved to New York when I was twenty six, and I'm forty one now. And um, there's, a, there's like a lifetime. Yeah. That have happened between then and now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, so I, I knew that you had spent time, uh, before, so you, so you went to Marfa and, and then the pandemic hit after you had arrived and you found yourself basically stuck in Marfa for an extended period of time. You said it was about six months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I had, I've been to Marfa once and I was thinking about my experience there and I was thinking, or rather trying to imagine your experience there. And I thought about how I had such a pre-pandemic time there. You know what I mean? Like I was there just for a festival. I was there for Marfa Myths, this podcast. We did like a couple episodes with people there. And and I was hanging out at the Hotel St. George and interviewing Eileen Miles and eating at like, uh, I think it was... You were on vacation. I was on vacation. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like I, I ate at the uh, Bad Hombres, the... Uh, just like the burger yeah and it was just like yeah it was so great it was so nice and then i thought like so what would happen if i did that for the first couple days and then the world locked down and things ended (laughs) you know what i mean and like it became a completely different thing i have to imagine that you ended up you know what, what what kind of sense were you able to get of the place in your time out there I had spent a bunch of time in Marfa previous to that, 
2010, I had played a show there. Um, and then later I played Marfa Mitz as well later on. Yeah. And gone out to visit for this project that I was working on with my wife. Um, it's a project called Kite Symphony that was commissioned by Ballroom Marfa, it's who cool. puts on um, Marfa Mitz. Yeah. And um, so I was already familiar with like what you're describing. And I had seen it from like 2010 um, to, you know, to, to when we went there, the evolution of the of the town up until that point in terms of becoming the experience that you were describing. And and then us getting there and me already knowing these things and things just started to lock down. Yeah. Especially because of the state park locked down. And I think Marfa is like this, um, the stopover for a lot of people who go to Big Ben, like people who are like Texas natives who go for spring for spring break or for summer that they go on family trips or whatever to big bend and marfa's like like a two-day stopover for a lot of people and i think that even you know obviously that stopped and so there wasn't um this fluid like frequency of um tourism happening it was just like it became slower and quieter and quieter right freakier for us because it by design marfa's like isolated and um yeah and so then as like toilet paper started running out and like all these things were like damn like this might be like the last place that's gonna get anything you know so it's like as these things run out what's running out next and so there was like all these like um built-in anxieties to the um the uncertainty of of it all and then the fact that like i don't think people realize how far west it is and and oh yeah five hours from uh El Paso and like yeah it's a long yeah and even like the freakiness of like the nearest hospital was small in comparison and like if that's only servicing if that's servicing like all these people that live in a region you know if if someone were to get really sick you would have to get airlifted to El Paso like that's just like the reality yeah that's heavy so there was a lot of stuff, but we were trying to, you know, try to just keep it chill and, and try to keep it real and grateful that we were there, to be honest. We were, um, Ballroom really um, supported us in, in the most generous of ways. They gave us somewhere to live and um, really, like, encouraged us with, with the project that we were working on and, and allowed it to um, to cultivate and grow into something that's ultimately going to be a show next year in January, but, um, like, a gallery show. But it... it um, it you know we just didn't we were we were happy to ride for a while but we just didn't know what was gonna happen yeah yeah that sense of uncertainty must have been really intense so that's a project you worked on that with like rob mazurik and uh is it uh janine dara is am i saying that right jean ann jean ann jean ann dara um the stuff that i've heard from that is really really the, the visual scores that's right. Yeah, the two of you were were involved in this in this project. So it must have been great to have a project to focus on, um, just in terms of something you could put your mind towards. The stuff I've listened to sounds really really cool, and it's really fascinating, and it, the art is beautiful too. So there's that, but but yeah, so that undercurrent of sort of dread was just there in the in the background to some degree. Absolutely. Yeah. There's yeah. like. Yeah. The dread was real. Did you start writing any of the stuff for for this new album while you were out there, or did that come a little bit later? 
No, it happened there for sure. Um, parallel to the project to Kite Symphony, I was able to um, work out of a recording studio in Marfa, which obviously wasn't like the he had, uh, the guy the guy who runs it, Gory. Um, it's called what am, oh, Marfa Recording Company, I think it's called. Mm. My brain spaces on the exact names, but um, um, he you know, we were able to use it for our project, but then through that time I was able to like be in a studio and then start to just explore. As soon as I'm like in a space like that, I'm like working on one thing, but then other things start to happen. And, and it happened. They started to write a bunch of songs. I wrote like immediately, like the first few days, I wrote a song on the, on the record called Aguas Frias. And then I wrote Agosto and I wrote, um, uh, thank you forever and i'm trying to think finish gemini and leo there and um was that one that ex- did gemini and leo exist before is that like an older song has that one been sitting for a little bit yeah so so the exciting thing was um in 2018 uh as i was finishing this is how you smile like the week that i was finishing it i was kind of like over working on that record i was like extremely just like done with it it was an exhausting process and um i was like i never want to make a record like this again process and possibly musically it was just there was something about it that just like i was just like i was so happy to move on yeah like as i was finishing it, i wasn't finished mixing it so that last week i um i started recording a lot of songs while I was finishing it and I and one of the songs I made was mirror talk it's the last song on the record and that, that process just kind of just like but then I was like okay let me not self-sabotage finish this record finish this. <laughs> and then um sure sure later, <laughs> and then later in 2019 I um started doing a lot more studio sessions and started just acu- accumulating a lot of like recordings with friends um that I kept inviting over like my friend Casey Hill who's on the record and then my friend Opal Hoyt, who plays on Gemini and Leo. Um, my friend Taja Cheek, um, she plays bass in a lot of songs, and there's a lot of other folks. And so there was all these seeds that were scattered, and Gemini and Leo was one of those songs that I had, and it was an extremely like abstract, headier, weirder song. And like I was really trying to make it difficult. I was like, oh man, I'm gonna make this like this very like. It, it started to come across like a very arty, like strange song, and I was like, yeah, this is this is going to be very, I don't even want to make this a pop song, you know, like I just wanted to be like some, some weird shit. And then, um, and then uh, I, I sent this, I sent like the, what I had assembled between Opal and myself, some of the stuff that we had done in the studio, I sent it to my friend J Tram to play drums and um, he did drums. And then he sent me a reference after he sent me the stems for the drums and I just put the drums in the wrong place. Oh. And and what was exciting about that was like it um it just changed my mind on the song. I was like, okay, this song is not some weird abstract song. I was like, this song is like it's just like a normal jam. It's just like it's a you know, it's supposed to be a groovy jam. And and um so with that in place, I, I sent it to Jen Wassner, Flock of Dimes, and she played bass over it. And then I just had a, I had a completely new vision where I just like kind of reoriented everybody's stuff. And um, prior to me leaving to Marfa, 
the demo version of like the weirder abstract version of Gemini and Leo, I had sent it to um, um, my friend Trey Pollard from Space Bomb. Yeah. And he, um, well, he had heard a few songs that I was working on. I was just sending stuff. There was like no intention. I, I hadn't even, I wasn't even trying to make a record right. last year. Like all I wanted to do last year was just work on music. And then hopefully this year, start working on a record. <laughs> and um, and so I sent him some songs for him to check out. And then he was like, oh man, he's like, send me these four or five. I can't remember. And I was like, sure. And I just thought that he was going to um, like play piano or pedal steel like we've done before. Because anytime we had done strings before him and I had like a long conversation about it and kind of worked out some ideas. And um, right before I left, for marfa he sent me those four songs and he's like oh he's like hey man i had some extra time after this string session so i did a bunch of arrangements for all the songs and just recorded them here they are do whatever you want with them and i was like oh shit so so when i got to marfa i had like all these pieces and parts and they just like gemini and leo just like yeah started to appear and assemble was it can i ask when 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 you originally sort of had envisioned it when it was in its like more arty weird uh shape was it already a love song sort of uh for for krista or so that christy was it already was that already uh part of it you know yeah i think um well it's not necessarily like a i mean it's a it's it's definitely like a jam that's that's a loving jam and it's sure um and um it's it's definitely based around our like us in terms of astrological signs it's also like it's a zoom out for sure it's 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 not just about us too i think it's like a fictional idea um threaded by like our our um our partnership so it's kind of like it's a little bit of both and i think lyrically i think there wasn't that much developed i think just like the hook the gemini and leo hook and then like maybe like a verse or two were um assembled and then as the drums appeared and like I got the bass in there, I was like, let me just go, let me just go just dive in and and make all these songs about some kind of like um some some galaxy universal universe space themes and, and even astrological um tie-ins, you know, and I just wanted to have fun like that. I love that you invoke the idea of sort of cosmic balance, you know? I'm, right now, as I did last year during the, the pandemic, I found, I've, I've, I'm revisiting this book by this writer, Jeffrey Kripal, uh, and he's written this book called The Flip, and I'm listening to like an audiobook version of it for an, an, another go-round. And his his sort of argument is basically that the universe is conscious in some sense, you know, and that maybe that consciousness were our brains are part of that consciousness or, or, you know, kind of whatever. And, and even if you don't buy that thesis, you know, even if that doesn't, you know, resonate, I think there's something really interesting and beneficial and beautiful about thinking of a person as a galaxy, you know, because it just implies that sense of limit, Listness and and vast uh, possibility. You know, a person is a is, is so is so many possibilities at once. You know, 
And so I, I don't know, I, I, I felt like in a weird way, I've listened to Gemini and Leo a lot because it's a really good song. It's a real good jam, you know, and it makes me feel good. But it also, may, yeah, I love the idea of it being like a love song in a, in multiple ways or a loving song, as you put it, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I like that. I do. And I'll, I'll subscribe to that for sure to, to the people, to, to that idea of, I, I completely agree. I think, um, you know, even when we're making music and we're like, I think when we're making music, the world is ours. It's our, it's our little miniature world. Yeah. It's my little miniature world that I live in. And then when I share it, then it becomes a part of like all these different people's little world. And it's still, now it's like this tiny world that I've made. And, and, but even with that, it's like, it's kind of cool to think about, I guess I start to think about like, all these people around me, especially like if you live in New York or wherever, anywhere, actually, you're just driving around. There's people everywhere, people doing all these things. And I think about all this stuff all the time. And it, and it can be like crippling sometimes where you're like, um, concerned with the world all day and all the time, but it also, um, if you can pull out, um, some of the, some of the parts that kind of energize you, like the possibilities of like, uh, experiencing as many things as possible, I think that that can be a, um, a really positive motivator. Does does music serve that function for you to some degree? Does it sort of allow you access to that feeling of possibility? Is that your primary way of getting there? Definitely, yeah. I I would honestly, and I, and I know maybe this is like people say this kind of thing, and 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 it it really is it's it's kind of it's just what I do. Like, I really love making sounds and music yeah. and it doesn't matter if they're songs or not. Like I love just being in, in this moment of like um, getting lost with something. And if I didn't share things, I, there's a lot of songs I don't share. There's a lot of things I don't share that I love Yeah, that are a part of me. It's not like, it, it's not like I only share the things that I think are good. I just, don't share everything yeah and i think that's important in in art and in music and in practice and in life you know i think it's 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 the fun thing you know and, and and i get there with all of that stuff i think more so connecting with um what's an exciting layer to that is is connecting with um other musicians or other artists or other um visual artists or other writers you know people in different mediums it becomes like this really fascinating um conversation because you can then um stimulate things that you've never experienced um with that and and know that like you're never ever making the thing um that's like final like i i think when i'm and what i mean by that is like you're not um for me at least there's no version of me there's no like brand of me there's no like um genre of me i don't really make anything that sounds for me at least i don't think i make anything that's like a part of like a scene or something like i think everything i've ever wanted to make was just whatever happened that day for me or or, or, or documenting ideas that i want to um continue to, to be a part of and it's worked you know it wor it's worked in some ways in a positive way and it's definitely made life harder for me in a lot of other ways you know in terms of like 
having some kind of like, <laughs> I don't know. It's taken a long time to get here. I'm 41. So it's like, there's, there's definitely things that, that have, that have been hard. Well, yeah. Like, are you talking about, uh, how having a brand can be very beneficial when it comes to, uh, you know, making music in terms of a career? Is that sort of what you're alluding to, to some degree? And the fact that you don't ever settle into one or haven't, you know, s settled into just one sort of mode or style or genre? Is that sort of what you're referencing? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, sometimes there's like, um, uh, there's so much that I love and enjoy and so much that that's a part of what I do as well. And, um, you know, you, when I decided to kind of work with other people in terms of labels, in terms of like a booking agent to help me get some shows and stuff like that. Yeah. Then they operate with, um, they operate in worlds that are like way more boxed in with with parameters that are like necessary like okay well you know what, what does this person do you know and if they can't talk about it because i can't <laughs> talk about it I'm like then we're like going nowhere so um i mean it like that so i think that's that's been the hardest challenge is like coming up with them um, uh, not coming up with but understanding my own um what i'm doing and, and, and finding language to to talk to people about <laughs> what i do so that's like a long, long, long process. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And 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 there are artists um, whose music I love who at various points in their career have said like, this is what I'm doing. You know what I mean? Like now I'm going to do this. Like I think of somebody like David Bowie to some degree, right? Where it's like, I love Bowie's records and I love the different sort of guises that he'll put on where it's like, now I'm this guy, now I'm that guy. And I do believe that that can yield really interesting stuff. To some degree, you do that too, right? Where you're like, I'm going to play with this idea or I'm going to play with this style for this. But at the same time, I find like listening through the discography and, 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 and and hearing the way you will approach like a new age idea or a or a, a disco y idea or a, or a folky idea, it's like it. I don't know, man. It to me, it, it's it strikes me as this like to get back to that idea of a person as a galaxy. You know, this like comfort with the idea that we are not just one single thing, or that we are a lot of possible things, and that that none of us is because that's the idea that that can become very frustrating about the. We, we opened up our talk talking a little bit about Twitter, you know? And, like, anybody who's ever spent time on Twitter, and I've unfortunately spent way too much time on Twitter, um, you recognize this thing where it's like you tweet something that's not in keeping with the other stuff you tweet, you know? And you just sort of see people, like, not 100% sure how to react with that. You know what I mean? Because it's like they want you to do the one thing you do or the few things you do. So, anyway, I just I think about how... As an artist, you know, so much, it seems to me like you draw so much um, energy from the lack of constraints. Uh, you know, does that seem seem right? Yeah, and I think the only constraint, constraints are like my, my, uh, my body. You sure, um, <laughs> sure, sure. And I think that's, I think that's what I want my music to reflect the most. Yeah. It's like. I'm, I've lived in so many different cities over the past like 
25 years i've um um you know my my body changes shape my voice has changed yeah you know yeah my knees are getting older things things change and and i feel like that's um i think there's there's a and, and I guess I'm trying to make this metaphor in the sense that there's a thread in everything that I do for sure. But I think the things around that thread change so much, just like me, just like my body. And, 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 um, and so there's, there's an opportunity for you to kind of like discover that about yourself and not, and, and not try to like um, continually um, live, live thinking you're trying to like adhere to something that people thought you were or, you're, or you maybe thought you were like maybe just like being like cool like this is me for the next 10 years possibly i don't know but yeah I can maybe move myself into a different direction too and and i've and i and i know that i've done that and i i think that's what i wanted to do with this record specifically i think after the last two records private energy and this is how you smile i i knew exactly what i wanted to do i knew before i made this is how you smile it's funny um, when I was making this. This is well. When I was making a song, I got asked to do um, something for the Adult Swim singles yeah. a few years ago, and um, and I wrote two songs, and it, one one was called "Come Be Me," which is the one that I released, and the other one was called "País Nublado," and I was I remember I was like trying to decide which direction I wanted to go with, and I was like, okay, whichever one I don't go with that's the way the album is going to be so i was like this is how you smile is gonna at least that song is going to be on the next record so then Pais nublado like got pushed to the side so i was like i'm gonna i'm gonna use Pais nublado as like a aesthetic template to um to build a lot of different um worlds off of that and then come be me i'm gonna return to that but i'm gonna release it now but i'm gonna come i'm gonna return to come be me later on and make really like explore a lot more passionately and deeply what it's going to be like. And that's what I feel like far in is like a, um, is like an echo of that. Yeah. Yeah. I like that idea of like saving part of saving something for the next thing too. You know what I mean? Or like saying like setting it aside and then allowing yourself the freedom to get back to the, the sort of like, uh, the material side of, of the, the conversation. So, so you were in Marfa for, six months mm -hmm. then you got out and you went to new york for a while right yeah so we finally left marfa september like early september and got back to new york in september of last year and then um and then i just we just, i just locked myself in my home studio and worked and wrote and recorded a lot and then went to the studio where i recorded a lot of and worked on most of um, This Is How You Smile and then made the whole record there from about like November to April yeah. of this year and didn't stop. Less rigorous, but just as much, much time. Yeah, yeah. So what did it feel like getting back to New York? I mean, obviously, you then have since departed New York, but when you returned to New York, how did it feel? Did it feel, um, for lack of a better term, like you were back home? It did and it didn't. I think we we had been so we had been like um viewing it from from such a distance and, and then seeing all the um the 
the hard moments that New Yorkers are going through, the tragedy that New Yorkers were experiencing through COVID. And so that was um, yeah. something we were going to be like very sensitive to. And then not just COVID, but um, through a lot of the protests from last summer and um, just knowing that there was um, there, there was a new feeling that, that was palpable for sure. And it was exciting in a lot of respects, but there was also the economic um, yeah. kind of like void because of COVID. So it felt like a lot of people had this energy to participate and be in, to be in community with each other. But then there was also like this, like, you know, no one can work. And there was just like a, a strange limbo. So, so we were kind of disconnected in that respect where it was like, it didn't feel the same in, in a, um, just on a superficial level in terms of like the, the economic stuff, but it, yeah, the people level still, still, um, you know, we're still connected to that, but, um, it was hard to know how to act because it was like, um, uh, you know, everybody was still wearing masks. And so there was this, like, there's all this, like, and if you're walking around New York, it's just weird. Not, there's a lot of people you're just like walking by and you're like, I think I know that person, but I don't know. And I don't want to like stop and be like, yeah, I know you. And you have to pull off your mask like, oh, I don't know you. Okay. So there was a lot of, that'd be a strange interaction for sure. (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot of that, but, um, but it felt good more than anything. New York is still somewhere that I love deeply. Yeah. So it it didn't feel alien. So what was the, what motivated you and Christy to say, okay, we're going someplace else. It was just we wanted to just try something new. Yeah, I think that was more than anything. I think there's um, uh, we've never been um, in any kind of like um, super fortunate like um economic uh, situation where like it didn't really matter where we lived in New York. So it was always hard to struggle to be able to afford and find somewhere that was um, yeah. That, that was easy to pay, you know, pay rent. And then also most of the places we would find, we would try to have our studios in our house because we couldn't really get a studio uh, sure. outside. So, so there was, you know, we've, we've always kind of been just like living on the cusp of like, damn, like, I don't know what we can pay for right now. So that, so that's, that's always been part of it. And um, it wasn't like we moved there and that was the situation. It kind of just, we were li- when we first moved there, we got really lucky and we were living somewhere in a really affordable way. And it just nothing felt that hard. And then it kind of just, there was like a landslide of like things that happened where we had to move a bunch. And um, yeah, it just started to feel like a cycle of just like living somewhere and moving and living somewhere and moving. It never felt like we just never felt stable. And um, I don't know, I could, I could go off the deep end about a lot of like, <laughs> about just kind of what it means to I guess participate in all that as well and and also fight for it um so I think right now we we wanted to just try to um, refocus our energy and and see if we could um live somewhere else for a minute and and also we have this show coming up next next year the Marfa show Mm -hmm. um, at Ballroom and and we were like let's just like go somewhere and just work for like however many months until the show and then and then go on tour next year and just see what happens yeah i might go back to new york you never know it's just more than anything it was just taking a 
taking a little journey away from New York again. Yeah, yeah. And have you found, I mean, have you been just like, have you been writing a lot there? It sounds like, I mean, you went there in part to work. I mean, has has stuff come to you pretty uh, consistently? Or do you, do you always write? That's a better way to ask that question, actually. Are you pretty much always working on, on music? I am, yeah. Sound ideas and, and music and work and visual things. And there's always something happening for sure. And which is, it's kind of like part of my day to day more than anything. It isn't, um, you know, some things can be work because we find work to do. You gotta make money. But sure. But, um, but for the most part, I'm getting to a place where, um, I have a lot more time to make, which is really cool. And, and I think that was like the thing I always wanted when I first um, first started taking this seriously in yeah. terms of knowing that I could do this or knowing that it was something that I really enjoyed to do, like recognizing it in myself. So I think it's it's kind of funny. It's It reminds me, these days remind me of like my early days of making music. Um, like when I first went to college and I got like my first MPC in 1999 and and uh it reminds me of those days because I would just like get up and just like you know make beats and like yeah samples like work on stuff and then um you know go to class so I feel like the same thing happened is is happening right now like what was happening back in those days it's 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 um it's really special right now yeah, that's incredible. And that was when, so you're talking about, were you in Georgia when you're, you're, you're talking about that? Like, is that sort of when things, you really got into making music or was this before that or? Yeah, it was in Georgia. I went to school in Savannah College of Art and Design. And um, uh, prior to that, I had gotten a computer. Well, I didn't get a computer. My brother had a computer and I would make, I think I got like Pro Tools, like 2.0 or something like that via um some like, music making magazine because I was like I was you know really into um a lot of electronic music yeah in like the movies and so I'd buy a lot of magazines that talked about it and there was like an ad for pro, like you could like write and get a free pro tools um cd and it was like pro tools 2.0 and I got that when I was in high school and I started like recording little beats that I would make on um on the computer and then when I went to college, I went to school for animation and video and film and took a sound class. And when I took that sound class, um, our professor was, he was, he was I mean, I, I view him as like a mentor. He, he really emphasized them um, and shared with us like a lot of like um, experimental and like avant-garde work and really shared with us like a lot of stuff that was um, things that were out of my 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 world like the things that i was exposed to were like i didn't even realize it, but you know my cousin would give me cds or my brother would would share stuff like uh, like a lot of tortoise or like um like chicago type stuff or like things that were on warp records and so that was like yeah high years and then and then learning you know where, where the evolution of that where it came from and so how some of those guys were influenced by the stuff that i was starting to learn in kind of connecting the dots with some of that stuff. So it was really, um, those were like early days for me. What kind of stuff, what do you remember? What was his name, the, the professor? Oh, Matt Akers. And what kind of stuff was he showing you? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, 
I'm trying to remember now. Um, <laughs> I completely get it, by the way. I, it's like anytime somebody asks me, like, you know, what I'm listening yeah, to it, or whatever, I just immediately s- slips out. But yeah, I, I mean, it was it was stuff based in installation, and I can't I can't believe I'm just spacing out on this right now. But um, I I couldn't even like I I can't believe I can't reference anything off the top of my head, but in terms of the process he was explaining to us a lot of things that were happening you know um yeah obviously uh, i guess look this is probably generic but it's i think it's just an obvious thing he would you know sharing ideas of them um, uh like john cage stuff and like david tudor stuff yeah and um, trying to think who else but stuff within like that world of uh you know white dude academia but um <laughs> yeah but it was but it was like my first exposure to like this this permission to be out yeah of of these borders that that like I, that were already perceived in some respects and so that was like that was cool for me i was like oh shit you can do this you can do i didn't realize you could just make stuff like this yeah I'm like i can make i'm gonna make this i want to find these sounds too no absolutely that's that's fascinating were you were you uh on the electronic side of things, were you into live things? Were you into clubs or raves or things like that? I mean, was that a part of it for you? Absolutely, yeah. When um when I was in high school, there used to be this thing um, on South Beach called Beat Camp, and we would go and downstairs was like um the Raga Jungle Room where there would be a lot of MCs. This must have been like '98, yeah, maybe. 99 i don't know and um and then upstairs was um the more experimental room where people were playing like you know idm type stuff but even just like just weirder spaced out shit um things that didn't sound like anything else and um that was just like my first exposure beyond like going to the record store in south florida uncle sam's and getting like magazines and you know whatever mixtapes i could find um yeah that was like a really like exciting moment for me going going and seeing this stuff in, in, in real life did you like to go between the rooms like kind of like spend oh, yeah. spend a little time in one then go spend a little time in the other yeah absolutely absolutely it was just like just exciting i mean and to be that young and there was also a radio station in miami um it was like a pirate radio station that had um electronic music it was called Womb W O M B, and uh, and so there was like that as well, you know. So it was like kind of just like exposure to like things that I hadn't ever heard of before. Yeah, yeah. What kind of stuff did you grow up hearing? Like, what kind of stuff were you hearing around the house, or or what was some of the first music that you got into even before kind of getting into that stuff? Yeah, it. Well, my family's from Ecuador. And um, at my house, there was a lot of um, Latin American, like pop, Latin American music and like danceable tunes, you know? Yeah. Um, and Latin American pop, it was what, like, just, it was common for us to hear it. Maybe, you know, I, I thought maybe the world, everybody knew about this stuff, but, you know, it was just kind of like, very specific to the region, you know. And, sure. Um, the artists like 
um, like well, in, Equ- in Ecuador, there was like, you know, famous singer, his name is Julio Jaramillo. And then like in Ecuador, there was like a cult following for a, a band called Los Iracundos. And then my dad really liked Piero. And then there's um, another like pop singer, like Rafael that my mom loved, you know. But then there was also a lot of like us living in South Florida. There's a lot of the Caribbean. Um, sure. Dance influence. And so there was like so much like merengue and then bachata and then um, uh, cumbia. Yeah. So that was, uh, so that was just like typical in terms of like the house. And then there was the radio, right? And so the local radio in Florida is like, you know, in the eighties was Miami bass. Yeah. And electro and freestyle. And like, that's what I was hearing on the radio and like hearing 808s and hearing 303s and hearing chopped up, pitched up and pitched down vocals, you know, sampled and and hearing samples and so that was like um those were sounds that were like permeating um out of every every car you know rolling down the street and that that um that was definitely absorbed into my like subconscious yeah yeah so when you start i mean uh so what what you signed to asthmatic kitty in uh 2000 Nine. Was the first record. Yeah. Okay, that's what I was gonna say. Two thousand. I was I was gonna say two thousand ten. Yeah, two thousand nine. So so how did how did that happen? How did you get connected with that with that crew? Yeah, that's that's a good question. Um. So prior to that, me, kind of referencing your your question about electronic music in Miami, I as soon as I went to to school and college to, to college i started making a lot of music and, and um a friend of mine was working with some labels that were part of like some of those parties that i had gone to in miami and they were putting out hip-hop and electronic music and then um i ended up releasing with with a couple labels different projects for a long time and um and so one of the people at asthmatic kitty had had been following one of those projects and asked me to remix one of their artists. And then parallel to that, I, I was I was already working on El Alo Negro. And I was like, oh, you should check out this thing that I'm working on. Yeah. And they got excited about it. And it was just like really organic. So I, it was like the first time I had worked with, I had worked with prior to that, I had worked with like three labels. And they were like, and I was like 19 when I was like first talking to my first label, when I got signed to my first label. and. And a lot of like, there was just like a lot of hype and big talk about what was going to happen. And then, so when I signed to Asthmatic Kitty, I remember, I remember specifically thinking like when they told me, they're like, oh, like, just let us know if you want anything or what you'll need to make the record. And I was like, oh shit, this is crazy. And I, was like, How? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I need like, I think I was like, I, I was like, I need like $2,000 to make the record, you know? And I was like, I just thought that was like a crazy amount of money to ask for. Um, it was the most... Um, I know a lot of people don't even get any money, but it was like, I didn't even know what I was doing Yeah. in that respect. I was just like, is, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do, you know? And that was like a crazy feeling because um, I just felt like very supported. I mean, like at the time, I think I needed, I think I just, I think I got that money and then like paid rent and like utilities and student loans with that, you know? Yeah. So it was like, it was like non, that money just went from one place to another. It didn't, it didn't. 
you didn't like go, immediately go buy like a really nice Les Paul or something. You know what I mean? Nothing, yeah, nothing changed other than I had now I owed a record. Yeah. And, <laughs> That's a cool and, position uh, to find yourself in, though. That must have been exciting. You know what I mean? Like you said, feeling supported like that. That's a big feeling. It was. And so I was about to turn 30 and I was just finishing this record. And I've kind of felt like I was like, what am I doing? This is like starting this new project. I wasn't really sure what was going on. And it was amazing. Throughout the time that I was with Asthmatic Katie, they were really um, supportive and, and treated me in, in this really um, exciting way in terms of, I, I guess what I'm trying to get to is that the first, one of the first conversations I had, and it was with Michael Kaufman, who brought me to the label. He, um, he was like, look, we're not interested in your first record. We're interested in your like fifth or sixth record. Like we want to, and what he meant by that is like we want to keep, yeah. we want to cultivate you into the artist that you want to become, and ultimately make sure you're that you're continuously happy through, you know, all those stages of the relationship with us, you know, and I felt like that was like um, the thing that I needed to hear, and I had never heard before with any of the other people I had ever worked with. The other people I had ever worked with, it was just kind of like everybody was winging it. Yeah. You know, there were indie labels, nobody knew any, and it's not not disparaging indie labels, but I mean a lot of times everybody has as much experience as you do. And sometimes it's close to none. Yeah. And uh, so it's, it was nice to have a conversation with someone who um, had more perspective on different ways you could um, cultivate and harness the things that you wanted to do. And it was a great, it was a really great relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and obviously it, 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 opened you up to I mean I I remember like paying attention to asthmatic kitty like pretty uh <laughs> I was about to just say like I I paid attention religiously uh because there was actually probably a religious component to me <laughs> at that time you know what I mean maybe 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 yeah, maybe not then but anyway I paid attention to everything that came out on asthmatic kitty and I remember hearing that record and thinking how great it was and then following your career over the the time since you know as you've gone through these different, you've worked with different, you know, labels, you've worked in these different sort of contexts, as we've talked about, you know, kind of moving back and forth in a very fluid way through a lot of different styles and a lot of different formats and stuff. Listening to this new one, the thing that really strikes me about all the songs from it is just how whole it feels and how, uh, I wonder if, the last year uh, or the last two years at this point, it's, um, I guess, um, where we're like looking at this, this time and like started recognizing that, yeah, this was, is a strange time. Um, when you look at this specific record, what strikes you about the way it's come together? And, 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 and do you feel like it is, uh, what does this record say about you that the that the others don't? I guess is what is what I'm trying to trying to get at. I'm very curious about. Yeah. Well, I I think um um I don't think it's for me. It I don't think it's um it's they're not um achievements. They're sure. Not, yeah. They're not climbing like a mountain, and they're not building a house. Mm. they're um they're like milestones in my own life and so each 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 album i made is a different version of of where i was 
in different places. I'm not like, um, I'm not trying to outdo myself, you know? <laughs> and so, and I know that's hard because I think people look at things with a critical mind in terms of like, um, uh, the last record, this is how you smile. It, it got, it garnered like all this press. It got all this, like po- these positive reviews and that helps so much with like um, the industry world, right? It helps so much for you to be able to get a show and, and, and maybe charge more money or hire more so you can, so you can hire a bigger band and maybe you can have a record that um you can record in a fancy studio or whatever. Like, yeah, you can do things, but it, it doesn't change the fact that like, you're probably going to be in a completely different place mentally and like physically. And, and, and I've always known that I'm lucky that uh, that didn't happen early on in my career. I've made so many, so much music and so much, I've released so much that um, right as I was about to release or no, when I was like making, this is how you smile. I had zero expectations. I just wanted to make the record that I wanted to make at that time and make the best record I could at the time with what I had. And, and when I was finished, I was like, I'm done. Cool. Like whatever happens, happens. I'm not, Yeah. I wasn't stressed about it at all. I really, I wasn't like expecting anything. I was like, honestly, I was like expecting it to be, to do everything that I had done before. And, um, and I feel like more so with far in, I'm, I feel even more comfortable with myself. I don't, feel like i'm i'm um i felt like i guess what i'm the way i'm trying to put it is um i realized that with after i had finished private energy and i finished this is how you smile i realized i didn't have to prove anything to anyone and i felt more comfortable with myself and i felt like far in is kind of like a one of the first times i have like a full expression of everything i've ever wanted to share in a way that was i felt not um not dense or confused or just fillerish it feels like for me i focus so much on like each song being the um the exact expression that the song needed to be more so than i ever have with any other record with any other song yeah um and i feel i feel like that i feel like i'm just more comfortable more than anything yeah with myself yeah yeah so when you listen to the I don't know how often you put your record on or, or don't, you know, <laughs> but that, that feeling of, of feeling comfortable with yourself, um, that, that's awesome that that has increased as time has gone on. I'm sure that there's a, a part of that that's just very natural, right? We like keep doing things and we become more comfortable, but it also, that comfort kind of comes through in a weird way because I feel like the record has a comforting quality. I feel like the record yeah. has a loving quality. I feel like the record brings a little bit of that uh, thing that you're describing feeling for yourself. I don't know. It's it's not hard for me to hear that in the music too. You know what I mean? That like a kind of acceptance and a kind of very, uh, I don't know. It's a, it's a beautiful record. So, uh, and, and just to kind of like um, maybe clear up, even more so what I mean by comfort. I don't feel comfortable with what I'm doing. I don't feel like I have to go back to like this idea of like me as like a um, genre or something like that. Yeah. I feel comfortable in exploring and doing whatever the hell I want. I feel comfortable in feeling like I can share what I want and 
know that that's what I wanted to share. And it doesn't, it's not attached to um, uh, a pressure to, um, to check off boxes for other people. And I think that's, yeah, I think that's a really special place for me because I, I, it's, it's not that I want to stay here. It's just, I want to continue to grow in this feeling. Yeah. And when I think back, uh, like, yeah, exactly what you're talking about, that feeling of like, you're going to sing in the language that you choose to sing in for the song, you know, you're going to, you're going to, uh, you know, it's not like, it doesn't sound to me like it's ever been a thing where you're like, I'm going to purposefully dis defy expectations that people have of me, you know what I mean? Or I'm going to, I'm going to flip the script intentionally, you know, it doesn't sound like that's really the way that you motivate yourself. That doesn't sound like that's where the motivation comes from. But it also doesn't sound like you're worried about whether if that happens, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely not. No. And I think that's like, I think if anybody's been following along and I think some people are just jumping on, you know, as of even this record. Yeah. I think if we were to like, listen back to like all the things that I've released under El Alo Negro, I think they'd be like, what is, you know, if someone listened to like an Island universe story song and then listen to the, a song from the first record. It, it's just like, um, there's aesthetics that are like wildly different, but there's like a constant thread through them all. Yeah, yeah, I think that's 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 awesome. That's that's a beautiful thing. I mean, that's you. That's you, right? Like, that's the idea. Is that the in terms of a person being a galaxy, in terms of a person being a genre? You know, like it's like there there doesn't need to be any any limiting. I want to to close. I want to ask. It's like <laughs> a slightly a slightly different question or a slightly stranger one. Maybe I don't know. The other day on Twitter, you mentioned that you'd called it quits on The Sopranos uh, and that you were like, I'm not watching The Sopranos. <laughs> and I, I took note of it because because uh, I saw that tweet the same day I read that. Um, that Will Staley essay about like, why is every young person in America watching The Sopranos or whatever? Oh, I, I don't I don't think I read that. I'm sorry. What, oh, what no. Was that all? Oh, you don't have to apologize for it for sure. Uh, it was it was he was just it was it was basically just sort of a a discussion of uh I don't know, American dissatisfaction, you know, and the sort of like the sense of emptiness uh that might uh certain institutions inspire a feeling of emptiness versus what maybe they once did for a lot of people, you know? And I think that it's sort of just this idea of, but you, you had talked specifically about not watching Sopranos, uh, or calling it quits on it because you were sick of the like violence in the entertainment that you, that you watch, or this is not what you're not, not what you're feeling right now. Right. Yeah. You know, I'm sure. And you know, not that I'm sure the things that I observed and felt like, I think, there's some like amazing writing in The Sopranos, and I think there's some amazing like acting, without a doubt. Sure, like, that's like not not disparaging that. I think um, I think ultimately the thing that feels really off is like um, uh, this need to like be entertained by the worst things possible, and I think it's just like whatever. I think that's not it's not new, and it's just you. We have we have like the willpower to to choose what we want, but we're definitely fed a lot of the same thing. So it's kind of hard to, um, to sift through the shit. And I, I've read something a friend of mine wrote, and I'm going to really 
maybe paraphrase this in the worst of ways, but <laughs> he was talking about um, Goodfellas. And I really liked that movie too. And he was referencing, I, I guess, like the third act of Goodfellas, how like the thing that Scorsese did was he didn't let these guys get away with it. Sure. It wasn't like these guys, you know, after they did all these this terrible shit, treated all these humans horribly, the most violent and terrible things in the world, then they got to go home and like give their kid like a cup of chocolate milk and then everybody felt for them. Right. It was like, no, th- there is no, th- people don't get off the hook like that. You know, and I think that, that is a reality, I think, that should be shared more than like the things that I was feeling when I was watching Sopranos. I was like, there's like this like violence that's being portrayed. And then these guys are just let off the hook all the time. Sure. You know? Sure. And I think that's that, that type of storytelling just it felt like repetitive. Every episode felt like that's what they were saying. Sure. There was like beautiful nuance inside each episode, but it was like, it felt like at the end of each episode, they got to eat together as a family yeah you know and it was i was like this is terrible this is i i love i mean i love that i love the sopranos and i love a lot of the elements i didn't i actually uh uh (laughs) i actually didn't mean to be like yeah defend your take on the sopranos uh because i because i because i because i i respect i respect your take oh, on the yeah. sopranos. i i'm not <laughs> yeah i'm tr- i'm trying i'm gonna take you to task about about it what I, what i was interested though i mean I, um i it, it it made me think about violence you know it made me think about violence in the entertainment that i watch and and i love a lot of really violent entertainment and it made me absolutely call some things into question and just think about it because it's good to be thoughtful about what we do and what we watch and what we sort of engage with but something that i was thinking about and what i wanted to see was like you know what are things that you watch that make you feel creatively liberated or 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 not what are, are, I mean, are there things like, cause when it comes to entertainment, are there things that you put on where you like, when an episode finishes or a movie finishes, you go, I feel better about the universe than I did before. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, there was, there was a movie in, in that tweet, <laughs> in my tweet thread that I, I, I thought about that too. I was yeah. like, you know, not just like slinging mud at something and then just walking away. I was like, you know, maybe. It's always an opportunity if you're going to talk shit to like <laughs> bring something to the table. So it's not just, um, not just something, um, that you're doing for, for, for scan- to have a scandalous moment. Um, and, and what I talked about was, um, a movie that I, that I watched recently called the truffle hunters. And I, I just thought it was, um, I thought it was just really beautiful. There's like a, you know, a documentary about this amazing, um, group of older gentlemen who live in this northern region of Italy that um that hunt for truffles and they've been doing it for a long time and they're just old, these old guys and there's just like a, it's a really beautiful portrait of life and people getting older and things being lost and gone forever yeah and it doesn't it doesn't feel like there's a heavy hand in there that's trying to manipulate you into a um into a narrative it just feels like life happening in front of you and you're experiencing um someone's situation without um without it having to be 
so um so 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 heavy and um and and it's sad there's a lot of sad moments in that movie it's not like it's it's more realistic i guess and and it's more interesting but it's beautifully shot and it's beautifully um assembled and i was like this is really inspiring to watch something like this because it is like a lot more um a lot more real to me than than kind of like um fictional violence for amusement yeah and i think um there was another i was actually going to call the record something else i was actually going to call the record until the end of the world and it was based off of this wim wenders movie that i love and i don't know if you've ever seen that movie i watched it um, right at the start of the pandemic for the first time oh, really? for the first okay. time i watched it right at the start of the pandemic and i love that movie for that reason i love the movie because it's so similar to that documentary it's like there's like these constant conflicts but it's like an it's like um an organic life so it, it feels like normal life it's like when you have conflicts in your life it's not like then it ends or it ends in this really dramatic way i understand that's how a lot of fictional writing is but it, there's something about these types of movies that 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 are testament that you can um you can make things uh you don't have to hold your hold people's hands through like um so much and you can give people permission to to have different types of experiences throughout these um yeah these types storytelling i loved that movie precisely for what you're talking about which is to say it's a different kind of storytelling than we're so used to seeing you know um not just because it's really long it is really long um (laughs) but it is like yeah it's so patient and it unfolds in a way that is a lot more like life even to the point where as you're watching it, the, the characters are struggling with their own desire to watch things, you know what I mean? Instead of do them or whatever. And you're like, however many hours into this movie and you're like, oh shit, is Wim calling me out, you know, at least a little bit? Because he is, you know? Um, but I love that. Yeah, I, lo- I love that. And uh, good soundtrack too, right? I mean, that... Uh, that Peter Gabriel song, Blood of Eden, is so that that's a yeah. It is. It's 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 sick. Even uh, it's fascinating because I really love that movie. It really had a huge influence on my new record. I wanted my new record to be long. In a lot of respects, the songs are long in the record. Uh, the the record was originally like twenty three songs, and it was like wow. I wanted. I was. I, I think I was trying to make it like. I don't know. It was like really long and I had to cut a lot of things out. And then, um, um, and also there was, uh, I had collected for the past few years, I'd been collecting a lot of those, um, recordings, those, um, those, those pygmy recordings, um, that they were like highlighting in the movie a lot where she was playing them back a lot. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And I was loving, I, I was like, this is crazy. There's like, there was so much like crosstalk with like a lot of things that I had already been um, working with in my own mind with concepts and stuff. And so it was cool. Yeah. Well, that's beautiful. The new record's beautiful. Um, and it was really, really, really nice getting to sit down with you and talk with you and see you in person, sort of, <laughs> via the magic of the internet, you know? Um, but yeah, I really, I really loved it. And I really appreciate you taking the time to, to speak with me. Likewise, Jason. I really, really appreciate it. 
Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Jason Woodbury. I write, host, and produce transmissions. Our audio is edited by Andrew Horton. Sarah Goldstein and Jonathan Mark Walls create visual assets for the show. And our top of the show announcer and executive producer is Aquarium Drunkard founder, Justin Gage. Don't miss his Aquarium Drunkard show on Sirius XM every Wednesday night, 7 p.m. California time. One of the all-time best radio shows in the biz for my money. Like I said at the top of the show, this is the penultimate episode of this season. We are going to be taking a break after next week's show uh, just to uh, get through the, the winter holidays and, of course, finish up that best of the year list on Aquarium Drunkard, so keep your eyes peeled for that. But we do have one more episode coming up next week, and it's a great one. Steve Berlin of Los Lobos joins me to discuss their new album, Native Sons, as well as uh, lots of moments from his fascinating career, the uh, L.A. cowpunk scene. And uh, yeah, we talk a little bit about Paul Simon, too. So tune into that. Until next week, stay safe. Uh, I'll speak with you more soon. <laughs>